times, uh, what's happening there. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. You know, there was a, uh, a young gospel preacher. He was walking down the street of his city and he just happens to uh, walk down the main street and it was in front of a local uh, tavern or bar. And as he's just walking along the street there, a drunk man stumbles out of the, uh, the, the tavern and bar, uh, you know, quickly and uh, knocked the preacher to the ground. Um, the preacher, before he was saved, he wasn't always a church uh, person. He was a fighter before he got saved and he had a little bit of a short temper. He got up, he was angry at this situation, grabbed the drunk and threw him through the window of the pub causing damage and quite a degree of harm. Actually, and then the uh, law enforcement was called. Um, he uh, had to pay for damages in that tavern. Uh, and, you know, there was some degree of penalty against him. He got so discouraged that he'd done that, he believed that in his heart that in that moment he had backslidden. In his uh, fellowship or denomination, they had taught if one was to backslide, there's no hope of return. They had felt and, and, and had taught Hebrews uh, 6, 4, if it is impossible for those who were once uh, enlightened, um, and then in verse 6, if they've fallen away to renew to repentance. So he quits the ministry, quits church, quits faith. He lives away from God and the church for the next 15 years. One day he happened to run into a former fellow minister that he knew from that denomination or, or that fellowship and the man asked him and questioned him, why did you leave? Where, what have you been up to? He begins to quote that Doctrine that if you ever fall, that you could never come back. That fellow minister in that group said, oh, we don't preach that anymore. We've realised that that's not right. Actually, we preach that God is married to the backslider and that he wants them to come back. This man, after 15 years, for the first time, finds a Faith surge in his heart, hope, he comes back, he repents, he gets right with God, he sits in a church for a time of redirection and goes out and preaches the gospel again with great anointing to the glory of God for the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable and he sees a great recovery. You know, I think that every pastor perhaps maybe every Christian who's been around for a time, have been asked the question about the unpardonable sin or thought, have I committed the unpardonable sin? We want to question that, look at that question and consider, have you committed the unpardonable sin according to Matthew chapter 12? Let's ponder this for a few moments and see what God's Word says. So it's verse 22. Then one was brought to him, that's Jesus, who was demon-possessed, bl blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitude were amazed and said, 
could this be the son of David? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man? And then he will plunder his goods. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this age or in the age to come. Have you committed the unpardonable sin? We want to ponder that for a first for a few moments and consider Christ's warning. Obviously, we see that as we're looking at this text, there's a dimension of Christ's warning. And if we look at the context of this statement, first, we're going to lay some platform here. You know, many a new believer would overcome the initial trials of persecution because of God's Word, would overcome those things and and become uh, the beginning of a disciple, start coming to church, reading their Bible, and on that path, uh, amen, to Christian discipleship and growth. And then they come across Matthew chapter 12, our text. They see something here called the unpardonable sin. And they, wow, that's heavy. And the thought might come to many, Perhaps I've committed that sin. Perhaps that's me and face a trial of faith. So we want to ponder for a moment, what is it? Have I committed that sin? And is there any hope for me? My understanding and our understanding today is we need to look at some Bible truths. Firstly, we look at the context of Matthew chapter 12. The context is Jesus is having a battle between his teaching and his actions and those of the religious Pharisees of the day. Three events happen in Matthew chapter 12. The Bible says the grain field event. They are walking through grain fields. The disciples pluck some heads of grain, but it just happens to be the Sabbath, the day of rest. And the Pharisees start criticising Jesus' and his disciples uh, and because they've picked some heads of grain on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he begins that teaching, so he wrestles through that. Then we see a man next that had a withered hand. 
on the Sabbath, uh, they're in the synagogue and Jesus reaches out and heals him uh, and the, the Pharisees are looking for an opportunity to accuse him and the Bible says they seek to destroy him for healing a man with a withered hand. Now our text, a demon-possessed, blind and mute man is miraculously healed. These are the three situations here. And then what you see, there's another group. The Bible says the multitudes are amazed and they make a comment, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? Could this really be God's salvation? This is what's happening here. They're opening their heart to God and spiritual revelation is beginning to come into their heart. This is where we see this. And this group called the Pharisees immediately counter because they hear it. They hear the multitude saying, could this be the son of David? The Bible says in verse 24, and when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Jesus then teaches, if Satan casts out Satan, then his kingdom is going to be divided. Amen. But if I've come casting out unclean spirits by the Spirit of God, know that God's kingdom has come to you. And then he talks about binding the strong man to plunder his goods. The strong man is the devil that's holding people in captivity and Jesus can bind him and plunder, amen, people and goods for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And then what we see here then, um, that's the context now. Jesus then begins to speak about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and that dimension. So what is blasphemy and what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Thayer's Greek dictionary says blasphemy is slander, distraction, speech that is injurious to one's good name. It can be reproachful speech that uh, brings injury against divine majesty. Strong's uh, uh, Greek uh, um, lexicon as well said, blasphemy, evil speaking or railing. So if we break down the text, Jesus now is just at the end, the grain field story, the withered hand, the man who's demon possessed, who was blind and couldn't speak, is miraculously healed. The multitudes uh, are spot on. Could this be the son of David? They're beginning to get revelation from God and that's the moment that the Pharisees counter and say, actually, Jesus is only doing this by the power of the devil. Jesus is empowered by the devil to heal a withered hand and to set a man who's demon-possessed and blind and mute whole. That's, that's what they're saying. So what are they saying? They're speaking evil against an obvious work of God. They're speaking evil. That the Holy Spirit's work is an evil work. They're calling the work of God a work of the devil. That's what they're doing. And secondly, they're undermining new faith of a multitude that has seen this play out. 
You know, Jesus said in Mark 9 verse 42, for whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Again, an incredible strong statement by Jesus Christ. But he says, listen, if you have your own personal beliefs, you wanna go your own personal way, that's up to you. But if you affect young in the faith and turn them away from God and set them on a, wrong path, Jesus gives them the most severe warning to that. Can you say amen? So this is why we say, listen, Pastor Payne, other leaders have said, listen, if you ever leave a gospel preaching church, for whatever reason, just go quietly. Don't throw grenades back in the door as you leave to destroy other people with their faith. Because this is what the Pharisees are doing here. Sadly, people can feel they need to justify themselves. Why am I not accepting the ministry of Jesus? Why aren't the Pharisees? So I must therefore, because I have to live with myself, pull down the work of God. Maybe it no longer has a right to exist. I could open internet blog sites against them. I can speak against church and church leadership uh, and I could do those things. But Jesus is giving a very strong warning here. John Wesley, when he talks about the unpardonable sin, he said it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy includes ridicule and attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Billy Graham says, refusing to turn to Christ and accept his forgiveness is eternal sin. Jacob Aminas says, the rejection and refusing of Jesus Christ through determined malice and hatred against Christ. So in the gospel story, and we see this in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, amen, which of the same perspective, uh, they're, they're writing this and they're warning those that are like the Pharisees they would work and speak against the work of Christ and damage others. When the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, is writing to the Hebrew or Jewish believers that attempted to go back in faith and go back to Judaism, he's warning them of the danger of falling away. And in, in Hebrews 10, 29 says, be careful you do not ins insult the spirit of grace. So it's a warning there. So I wanna look then secondly, the hellish strategy. We talked this morning adult Bible hour about Adam and Eve in the garden and the, the deception. See, we gotta be careful of half truths because you may grab a hold of a half truth and grab a hold of the wrong half. Case and example, here's the devil. He uses the very law of God as a temptation against the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the temptation of Christ. Let me read it to you. Matthew 4, verse 5 through 7. The devil took him, that's Jesus, up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Listen, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Then Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So here is the devil using scripture 
to try to tempt Christ to fall into the sin of presumption. And Jesus counters with a bigger principle. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan quotes Psalm 91 and quotes it without the context of where it should be at. See, half the truth is often a whole lie. If you don't tell the whole truth, you can mislead people uh, just as if you're telling them an outright lie. You know, man can come up with these things. I don't know if you've heard of the Irish toast. Is there any Irish amongst us? We love you, amen. But let me just read this to you. This is the Irish toast. This is the logic of the Irish. When we drink, we get drunk. When we get drunk, we fall asleep. When we fall asleep, we commit no sin. When we commit no sin, we go to heaven. So let us all get drunk and go to heaven. (laughs) That's not quite right, (laughs) just so you know. So many of the disciples, as I go back to, have overcome in their walk with Christ some early temptations and challenge to their faith. And then they come across Matthew 12 and it's like a fiery dart in their mind. Have I committed the unpardonable sin? And if that is the case, there's no hope for me. And the end game of the deceiver, the devil, is to twist Scripture in the hope that cause people to quit faith and shipwreck their faith. Have I committed this sin? Billy Graham, the uh, evangelist who's passed away a number of years ago, said, many Christians have heard there is an unpardonable sin and live in dread that something grave they have done uh, after conversion, before after conversion, may be that sin. We ask the question, can a person walk away from Jesus and his church? Yes. Do some people walk away and don't come back? Yes. Over the last 40 years that I've been uh, saved, thank God for that, people can damage themselves and maybe they feel that they can't repent. They take on a I don't care anymore attitude and what's the point? There is no hope for me. This is a dangerous place and they begin to embrace uh, uh, blatant sin and rebellion. However, the Bible says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John 6 verse 37, all that the Father gives me uh, will come to me and no one that comes to me, but I will in no means cast out. Hallelujah. Protestant interpreters of this scripture generally agree that the one who's committed this sin is no longer able to repent, is the one uh, uh, who is fearful that has committed this sin has not done so. So if anybody's ever been concerned they've committed that sin, you, you haven't committed that sin. He's saying that because the idea is 
the one that has lost all feeling that they've committed sin or concern or is no longer able to repent. But those that are concerned about it most likely haven't. See, the hellish strategy that we found in the opening story is a young man who grabbed a hold of the wrong end of a truth, quit God, missed out on God's will for years of his blessing and favour in his life. And that's tragic. I want to look finally then at the heart of restoration. See, there's hope for the troubled soul this morning. Again, in my opening illustration, a hot-headed young man bumps into a former preacher who's a former friend and says, why don't you come back to church? Why don't you come back? Why did you leave? Well, I committed the unpardonable sin. I can never come back. No, that's not true, brother. It was an error. We don't believe that. We don't preach that anymore. See, what is the biblical record? In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, now all those have happened to them as an example and they were written for our admission upon whom the ends of the age will come. See, the whole Old Testament record and then going into the New Testament is God who's dealing with a backslidden people trying to woo them back. Jeremiah 3.14, return, O backslidden children, says the Lord. I'm married to you. I will take you from one city and two and from a family. I will bring you to Zion. You know the story God says to Hosea, go marry Gomer, take a wife of harlotry, of the children of harlotry, from the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And even after he took her in, she was unfaithful again. And then God says, go and love again that was war, loved by a lover and has committed adultery just as the Lord loves his children and took them back from their gods and brought them back. David committed adultery, had Uriah, amen, a good man killed in battle. And we see in 2 Samuel 12 verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. Peter denies Christ three times. You know, the Bible says, and he begins to curse. That was a curse upon himself, invoking the name of God. One of the heaviest curses he could bring. This is why he felt that there was no hope. That's why he went back to the old life. I'm going back fishing. However, Jesus comes to him, restores him by the Sea of Galilee. The overarching principle, old and new, is that God so loved the world and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to wash it away. If you've committed sin, repent and God will forgive you. The closest I can see to the unpardonable sin is what I said. It was the Pharisees. Jesus had just done three things. In the grain field, they, they were upset and they were criticising him about that. A man with a withered hand was wonderfully healed. Thank God. It's on the Sabbath. Now this man who's demon-possessed, who was both blind and could not speak, Jesus wonderfully healed and 
the multitude, is this the Son of God? Spiritual revelation. And immediately the Pharisees counted and say, no, that is a work of the devil. I would say my main concern is, is those that would call any good gospel church a work of the devil, any miraculous healing and wholeness and life-changing testimony and begin to oppose and seek to turn other people. That's a dangerous place. That's of a high order. It's rare. But Jesus is warning, don't do that. That's all I can say, just don't do that. Can you say amen? Don't do that. It's of the highest order. It's very serious. That's not where, where we're living today. If you have the privilege of visit, visiting London, there's the Tower of London that you go where they have the crown jewels of the United Kingdom. I say there's 140 uh, ceremonial objects kept there, including regalia, vestments worn in the coronations of the British kings and queens, symbols of over 800 years of their reign. They're saying that in practice, it's highly unlikely the crown jewels will ever be sold, nor are they insured against loss, for they are officially priceless. Officially priceless. Can I say in like manner, we have priceless promises that are stored as an amazing treasury for you and I to use in our time of need. Frank Borum wrote a book, well, it actually was entitled, Frank, he's a Christian preacher of times past, Frank Borum Treasury. And he lists a number of texts that people were able to use that were priceless that changed their life. Martin Luther, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just will live by faith. William Tyndale, 1 John 4 verse 19, for we love him because he first loved us. John Bunyan, John 6 verse 37, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. John Newton, Jeremiah, uh, Deuteronomy 15, 15, and thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. David Livingston, Matthew 28, verse 20, for lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Catherine Booth, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. One of my good friends in the Melbourne church, Brother Gavin Spruce, he went through this time and thought he'd committed the unpardonable sin, but God gave him Psalm 9, verse 10. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek thee. What about you? The scripture is a treasury of priceless truth for you and I. A word for you today, a priceless truth. Through faith, can be appropriated the promises and use. Can I, as I make our final comment, if you're a backslider here in this place or out in live stream land, you need to come home. You need to come back. What's hindering you? 
Do you feel that you've done something so bad that God can't forgive? I would say, why don't you come and see what the Lord can do? For those that are condemned, pastor, I feel condemned. I lived in condemnation. Can I encourage you to come to this altar because there's forgiveness available for you. And for new converts this morning, you've come, you've started your steps of faith to the Lord and you've come across Matthew chapter 12 and you've read this and the voice comes to you, which is the accuser, and he says, you've committed the unpardonable sin. There's no hope. Can I say that's not true? You need to be set free this morning. The blood of Jesus Christ and his word will set you free. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Close our eyes just for a moment.